You guys ever had those moments when you're seeking something out in the house and you felt like if you didn't find that something that the rest of the day couldn't go on? Such as a set of car keys. You're walking around, you're looking under mattresses, you're looking inside drawers, and you don't know where it's at. The other day, I couldn't find my car keys. And so I yell the other side of the house, I say, hey woman, where are my car keys? Now when I say hey woman, just to let you know, it's kind of a playful banter that I have between Amanda and I. But I kept the title hey woman in the title of the sermon to show how foolish I can be because the keys were right in my hand. <laughs> or what about food? Have you ever had an appetite or a craving for something and you keep having that something? There was one evening when we were watching TV, a man and I were watching TV, it was late at night, and all of a sudden I got a craving. I said, Amanda, I gotta have carne asada nachos. And I got to have it now. I got the keys, and I ran out the door, and I went and got me some nachos. The crazy thing about that is at the time, Amanda was the one who was pregnant. <laughs> Often we have an appetite for something, or we're seeking out something, and we do it diligently. And our passage tonight is about somebody who was seeking diligently. He had an appetite for the presence of God. It's David showing us an intense appetite. And the passage tonight, Psalm 63, we see an example of somebody with that appetite. So turn with me to Psalm 63. And as you're turning there, I sent some screenshots to some friends back in Arizona. Yesterday it was 102 in Cambria. And it was 101 in Phoenix, Arizona. So I said, you better laugh and you better do it because it's going to be short-lived. Because pretty soon you're going to be back at 110 and we're going to be back at 60. So our passage is Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Sounds a little bit like Santa Maria this weekend. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadows of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together this evening. May we glorify and honor you this evening to praise you with our lips, 
just thank you for our many blessings. We pray for those who've been devastated uh, through Hurricane Harvey and just pray that you, your presence is known there, but pray that we also feel your presence tonight as we talk about David seeking your presence. In your precious name, amen. Often, we may look at a passage like Psalm 63, and we may think, well, that's Keaton David. That was somebody who was special. I don't know if I could ever have that presence with God or that experience. The problem is, is the way that we think about God. You see, yeah, we can read Scripture. We can read the passages. We can do our one-year Bibles. But often, we're actually practicing something different how we live every day. Often, we act as if we're deists. We read these words, but we treat them as they're some distant words that do not relate to us at all. So here's a somebody that's thousands of years ago. He's, he's experienced the presence of God, but I can't. I don't have the experience of God. This is somebody special. The way we think about God is so important. The other day, Alexia asked Amanda, she said, she points and she says, is that where Jesus comes through the house? And she was pointing at the fireplace. <laughs> but our knowledge of who God is is so important. A.W. Tozer says that a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship that the, what the foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. My prayer is that we, all of us, would have an appetite, a spiritual appetite for the presence of God like David had. And as we look at what David writes in Psalm 63, we see the intensity behind it. And my prayer is that we would have that intensity. So the big idea I want to leave tonight is to relentlessly seek his presence more than fill in the blank. Anything else. And David gives us an example of how we seek God's presence. First, we do it with all of our time. See, David says, my God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. The word for earnestly can mean first of priority, the first thing on your mind, or it can mean early. In the morning when I wake up, often the first thing I do is I reach over and I grab my phone. I want to check what I have on my emails. But David's saying the first thing on my mind is your presence, Lord. That's the first thing in the day that I want, is I want to experience your presence. So it's the first thing that we are to seek. But then there's kind of this progression in time in Psalm 63. Because verse 6, he says, When I remember you upon my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now, in Jewish culture, watches of the night, there was three. These were a time when a guard would stand guard, protecting people within a village. You had sunset to 10 p.m. was the first watch, and then 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., 
and then 2 a.m. to sunrise. These were military watches. So what David's saying is he's meditating on the Lord, the presence of the Lord, all night long. Have you ever had grown up uh, going on a date or doing something, playing really good at sports, and then you come home and then you can't get to bed the entire evening because you're so ecstatic about how things went? My prayer is that that is what I would have. My prayer is there, there are evenings where all of us would wake up the next day and our biggest complaint would be, I, God kept me up all night long because I seeked his presence. That's David. He's saying from the very beginning of the morning all the way to the evening, I seek your presence. All the way through the evening, I seek your presence. David did it all day long. See, he was being pursued, most likely when he wrote this, he's being pursued by Saul. Saul wanted him dead. And these night watchmen, we actually went on a tour in Germany, their whole goal was to protect. So when the darkness fell, these watchmen were protect from enemies, foreign invaders. And David meditated on God all through the evening because God, he stood in the shadow of God's wings. God was a protection and he sought him all through the night. We had to relentlessly seek God's presence all day long. Relentlessly seek his presence more than anything else. But he not only did it all the time, he not only sought God as much as possible, he did it with all of his self, all of who he was. David mentions the word soul three times in our passage tonight. And I want to kind of define soul. He, he talks about the soul thirst for you, my soul will be satisfied, and my soul clings to you. And I want to kind of clarify what he means by soul, because a lot of times we'll throw words out as if we know what they are, such as love or amazing, what's really amazing. In society and education, they kind of want to push against this idea that there's something immaterial outside of our physical bodies. They don't like to think that there's this idea of an immaterial soul or spirit. And so I want to define this, and I want to give credit to Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, because he explains it in one of the most clear ways to understand that I know of. And so I want to give him credit for this. There's several different aspects to human nature, who we are, who God's designed us to be. And the first is thoughts. That's the image and the concepts that we bring in front of our mind. Often God will do divine revelation through thought. Everybody has a, has a thought life. Then there's feelings. That's sensations and emotions. We're either inclined towards those thoughts or we go away from those thoughts. When I think about carne asada nachos, my feelings are, I like carne asada nachos. So I'm inclined to those thoughts. And then there's choice. Oh, the thoughts and the feelings actually make up the mind. So when you hear about renewing of the mind or when you hear about strengthening the mind, that encompasses thought and feelings because they're so interrelated. And then we get to choice. This is the will, the desire, it's the core of a person. It's, it's a, what's interesting is Dallas Willard defines it as the capacity of a person to originate something, which I found really interesting how he defined that because God created something from nothing. We're made in the image of God. And I just found that kind of interesting. It's the capacity of a person to originate something. Choices are intertwined as well with thought and feelings. 
But then there's the body. This is the interaction with the physical world. It's our primary energy source. It's our power pack. Our body is affected so much. It can be affected positively, negatively, and it can, it's also how we really relate with other people. And that goes to the next aspect, which is social context. This is our relationship with others. We're rooted in relationship with others. God is a relational being. We are relational. We're made up of relationships. We weren't designed to live on an island. But then the last aspect is soul. This is what David mentions three times. This is the factor that integrates all of the above. It's the deepest core of what a person is. We can't even really define it other than that it can mean the self or the whole person. But it interrelates and encompasses everything else about our human nature. It's the deepest. You can't go any deeper than our soul. And it encompasses all these different aspects. And so when you read in Scripture, when it talks about the soul, often it will be talked about in the third person because it's thought of as an entire self. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Psalm 43, 5. Or the rich man, when it talked about him abandoning my soul, Jesus yelled, Foolish night your soul is required of you. But why is this important? Because if we want to strengthen our spiritual core, we need to understand who we are. See, David, he uses his entire being, every aspect I just mentioned, to seek the presence of God. Notice in our passage, all of those aspects are used. He says, earnestly I will seek you, will, desire. My soul thirsts for you, soul. My flesh faints for you, body. I looked upon you in the sanctuary, body, sight. My lips will praise you, body. Lift up my hands, that's body. My mouth will praise you, body. I will meditate on you, mind. It's our thoughts and our feelings. There's even a negative social context. Those who seek to destroy my life, there's a social, relational context in there as well. What David shows us is that it takes our entire being to seek after the presence of God. We are truly human when we worship God with who, all who we are. See, when we aren't using those different aspects, when they aren't seeking the presence of God, when we're not worshiping God with those different aspects, that's when idolatry comes into play. See, idolatry, what it does is it reverses what, how, we're supposed to, uh, how we're supposed to worship. We use God to serve us. God serves our spirit, our mind, our soul, and eventually, all the way to the top, our body. That's why Paul in Romans 1 he talks about all the sexual perversion because the body, when we worship the body as ultimate, that is the ultimate sign of idolatry. And so this is reverse of how we're supposed to worship. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans 8 when he says the mind set on the flesh. And we can have many idols. The three big ones are money, sex, and power. The other day I was watching a, a full live stream concert of Metallica. And it was their last concert in their North America tour. And the music stopped, and James Hetfield, the lead singer, between the songs, he said, you know, many of us chase fame. Many of us seek it our whole life. And then when we find it, 
we realize it's just a thing. We're the same as everybody else. And then, of course, some really awesome guitar music comes in. They start singing their song, Moth into a Flame. And Amanda gives me a hard time because often I don't listen to the lyrics of songs. But I picked out these lyrics because it really made my ears perk uh, up about this, about idolatry. And they, this is how it goes. It's about fame. Death scene, black hearse, the limousine. A grave filled with seduction. Vaccine, fame does the murdering. She builds up for destruction, so light it up. Light it up. Another hit erases all the pain. Bulletproof, no excuse you're falling but you think you're flying high, high again. Soldier soul, built the higher wall. Yesterday now you're thrown away. Same rise and fall. Who cares at all? Seduced by fame, a moth into the flame, addicted to the fame. And James Hetfield will tell you about the alcohol addiction that he went through, that he struggled through because of that fame. That's idolatry. But David says, my soul is satisfied in you, Lord. That's where true satisfaction is found. See, how we're really designed, how we're really wired to worship God is that it's the opposite. It's a complete reverse. Because if you look at that reverse now, you'll notice that God's on the top. So we look at this. Our body is used to serve our soul which is used to serve our mind and then our spirit and then God. This is what it is to seek God. That's why Jesus says the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then there's a social context. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, the mind set on the spirit. Tolstoy said, there's two kind of gods, the one who serves us and the one who we serve. Those are the two views of God. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Relentlessly seek his presence more than anything else. So David shows us that it's in all day. He seeks God's presence all day. He shows us that it takes the entire being of who we are to seek God's presence. But then also, he shows us that we seek God with all of our baggage. So you may think, well, this is David. This is somebody special. Well, we know how life goes for David. Adultery, murder. Eventually, his family issues make Jerry Springer look like Sesame Street. But this is somebody who needed all the more to cling to God. David's soul, he, he says he clings to God. The sin entangles us. And when I think of clinging, I think of a rock climber. How they have to cling to a solid surface. And if they start to push back, they could fall. The gravity will pull them down. And when I see pictures of rock climbers, I think you better hold on because that's a long fall. But David says his soul clings to God. But then God's right hand upholds us. 
It's like the harness and the rope that keep a rock climber safe. Because God's the only constant in our life. He's that solid rock that we cling to. Because that sin does entangle us, as the author of Hebrews says. And that sin, sin entangled David's life as well. But that's why all the more we are to seek God's presence, to cling to him with our entire being. God, God's presence is something we are to seek more than anything else. But I also see grace and reconciliation in this passage. How do I see that? David most likely wrote this when Saul was chasing him. And if you remember 1 Samuel 24, the story, Saul went into a restroom, or restroom. <laughs> he went into the cave to go to the restroom. So I guess you could technically say it was a restroom. He went into the cave to go to the bathroom, and David's men wanted to kill Saul. And what did David say? He did not allow him to kill Saul, because he said, this is God's anointed one. Don't kill him. So Saul leaves the cave, but David tore a piece of his robe. And David comes out of the cave holding the piece of rope, and he calls Saul. And when Saul saw, here it is, the grace that David gave him, Saul could have been killed there, but David spared his life. See, in our passage, David says, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. David was praying that Saul and his men would be killed. But David gave Saul grace. But then I see reconciliation. Because when Saul saw that David spared his life, Saul wept. And he said, surely you will be the king. So there's a social context of a reconciliation between Saul, who wanted to kill David, and between David, his enemy. So there's grace and reconciliation. See, later on, much later, there was something else that was torn. It was the veil in the temple. When Jesus hung on the cross and gave his life up for us, we were in that cave in darkness, and he pulled us out into the light, showered us with his grace, and reconciled us to the Father. We are to relentlessly pursue his presence more than anything else. See, I'm on a journey to seek God's presence. I'm relentless because I want to be in his presence. See, for a while I was discouraged because I, I was like, I don't know if God's there. I don't know if I feel his presence. But then I watched a sermon by Tim Keller, and he said, a spiritual appetite means that you can sense that you're lacking something. And when you have an experience of God and you have an appetite, that means there's something that you feel an absence of. See, David sought God's presence, and God was near him like that set of keys. But David wanted more and more and more of God's presence. I want to seek his presence, even when he's near. It's not near enough. That's how I want to be. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we relentlessly seek his presence 
more than anything else. God's not a distant force that just kind of comes into our lives once in a while. He is actually near us. He is in us. And we are to seek him out. He gets involved in our daily lives. And we need to have the proper view of who God is. And be relentless to seek his presence. To get to know God our Father more. To seek him from the morning to the evening. To seek him with all of who we are. And to bring our sin forward. Because his grace will wash it like the fabric of a shirt, like detergent cleaning those fabrics. I want him to wash all of me clean, just like Pastor Greg said. So we're to relentlessly seek his presence more than anything else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have this evening. I just pray that we will go home seeking your presence because we need your presence all the time. Help us not to get distracted by everything that's going around us, but to be grateful, to be thankful for your grace, thankful for the fact that we are reconciled. And thank you for your gospel, which echoes even in the shelters that's happened in the hurricane the stories of the people singing your gospel message in the shelters amidst the suffering that even your gospel message can help those who are in pain. In your precious name, amen.